Well, good morning. Today we again are looking at each other through the cross. And again, very intentionally, as we are in this journey uh, to the cross throughout the month of March, and also this week as Holy Week of, of just uh, walking towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And so again, the, te- the intentionality of, of seeing each other through the cross of Christ and all that that implies. And so two weeks ago in this series, Dale was speaking on John chapter 12, and he spoke about extravagant worship. And the fragrance of worship that was there in that text as Jesus' feet were washed with this very expensive uh, spikenard, this fragrance that was there. Last week, Brad was speaking on John chapter 13, and he spoke about extravagant service and the model of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples of foot washing and the extravagant service that that portrays and models uh, for us, what we see in Christ. And today, we want to continue on in these chapters in John's gospel as we journey towards the cross. And I'm going to look at John chapter 14, 15, and 16. So I'd encourage you to turn your Bibles there. We're going to look at not all of those texts, but at a number of just sort of pulling out some texts that specifically relate to the Holy Spirit in the world. Because within these texts, in, in each of these texts, Jesus is doing a teaching with his disciples about who the Holy Spirit is that is to come, that is going to come in a unique and a different way at that time. And he's teaching them, but he's teaching them in many ways by contrasting the world. Here's what the world offers you. Here's what the Holy Spirit offers you. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, today as we look at those texts. So the first question that I have for us is, is what kind of world do we live in? Now that's a, I know that's a big question. It's one that's hard to answer and, and to get your head around. I mean, you could go in lots of directions, but the main thing I want you to do with that question is just to think about it for a minute. Okay, where would you go? Where would your mind kind of go to assess? And that's really all I want us to be thinking about is, are we assessing the world that we live in from time to time? Or are we like, you've heard the analogy of a fish in water, and if you ask a fish that's in water and say, well, what kind of water are you swimming in? The fish would just simply say, well, what water? Because they don't notice. I mean, you're just oblivious to an environment that is around you that you're surrounded with every day all the time and it, it, you don't even assess it or think about it. And in many ways, we are a similar way uh, and we, have, we need different perspectives. So I have, I have a couple of slides that I want us to look with perspectives because things are not always the way that they seem. Sometimes things are a little bit differently. So the first picture that I have is a picture of a beautiful, you know, when you look at this up close, you think, boy, what a beautiful walk in a park. I mean, it's like it's in the woods. It's, it's gorgeous. And it's an interesting perspective. But then you look at it from above, an aerial view. And you realize that, oh, that's Central Park in the middle of Manhattan, surrounded by some of the biggest buildings on the planet. And it suddenly changes the way you think of what kind of world that that is. Different perspective. Or the next slide, which uh, shows the Arc de Triomphe. For any of you French speakers out there, I know I probably butchered that really bad. That's in Paris. I've actually been to this place. I mean, a beautiful setting, and it looks like such a majestic kind of uh, structure. But then you look at the aerial view of that, and it gives a whole different perspective of where it's sitting in the context that it's in. You go to the next slide, and you see pyramids. Some of you have been to these. I have not. But you look at that, I look at those pictures and I go, man, like, are those things just out in the middle of the desert? Like, is there nothing around them? Like, how do they actually get to them? And then you look at an aerial view and you see that, no, it's kind of right on the edge of a city and there's just uh, a whole lot of people right around it. My main point with these is just simply this, 
that things are not always as they initially appear. Things in our lives, the way we view things, the way we observe things, are sometimes different in reality. There are bigger things going on. There's more context than we see. We, we all exist in a context that we don't fully see or understand. And sometimes the context and the messages of this world cause us to miss what's really going on, cause us to miss actually what God is doing in the heavenlies, in this spiritual world, and through his Holy Spirit. And that's what we want to be talking about here today. So even as we think about Palm Sunday, as Kevin introduced us to uh, the fact that this is Palm Sunday, it's that day before he was, or that week before he was crucified as he is entering into Jerusalem. And we're not going to look specifically at those texts today. But if you've grown up in the church, you maybe remember these things. And if not, I'll tell you the context of those texts. But we're going to look at texts that actually relate to that era, but not specifically um, that event as recorded in Scripture. But in that event, Jesus is riding on a donkey, if you remember. There are palm branches being waved all over the place. People are celebrating this Messiah. They are worshiping the king. They're making him this hero because of all that has gone on. And he is sitting on the donkey and he is weeping over Jerusalem. And it's almost like these two very contrasting things that are happening. There's a celebration in this party and yet Jesus is is weeping over Jerusalem and lamenting the fact that they don't even know what they're doing. Because he sees a bigger picture. He sees more than they see. He sees from another perspective. He sees into the hearts of man and the evil and the depravity that is there. And he understands and he knows what is coming. And he knows that just a few short days from now, he will actually be crucified on a cross by these very same people. So perspective. John chapter 14, 15, and 16. We're going to see some perspective that Jesus is giving his disciples and those disciples that were there with him and experienced all that he experienced, but also all those disciples, like those of us who identify as followers of Jesus Christ. Words of encouragement, words of perspective, of contrasting this Holy Spirit gift and the things that the world gives. So John chapter 14, and I'm going to just do it sort of chapter by chapter and pulling out some of these verses, is a continuation of what's known as the farewell discourse. That begins in that upper room when uh, Jesus is betrayed by Judas and then he starts to teach his disciples and he's walking them through and it's, it's like it's finally time that he needs to now explain to them, okay, here's some things that you need to know for the days that are coming. Not just this immediate week, but all that lies before you in terms of the history of the church and how you are going to be used by God himself through his Holy Spirit that I'm going to give you and it's going to change things forever. And so through these next chapters, it seems like that we have recorded in John's gospel, he's teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit in the world. He's preparing them for his departure in a physical sense, and yet his return and his indwelling of them in a a spiritual way through his Holy Spirit. So he's saying, here's what the church is going to experience in the times ahead. And he says, I'm going to send you my spirit and I'm going to leave with you. And in fact, it's really important that I leave because it's by leaving that the Holy Spirit will come. And he says, I'm going to go ahead of you and I'm going to prepare a place for you with the Heavenly Father. And he talks about this eternal reality, this heavenly reality. And he says, I will return again to come and to get my followers. So again, it's preparation time. And then right there at the beginning of John chapter 14, he makes this really bold but clear statement of how to access the Father and this place called heaven. Because the disciples, they 
claim not to know how to get there. They, they say, no, no, we, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. What a bold but so clear statement that Jesus is teaching them who he is and what it means to have a relationship with the Father. And then just like uh, anyone who's about to be kind of set out on their own for the first time, like you think of a, of a child who's maybe moving out of the house for the first time, going away, and they've they're got all these apprehensions. That's what these disciples might have been like in some small way. And then Jesus says these comforting and encouraging words to them as well too. He says, I will be with you. He says, don't worry, I will be with you. I'll be with you always. I'll be with you with my spirit and dwelling in you, living among you. It will be different. I will not be physically present, but it's better that I'm not physically present because my spirit will be with you. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 18, Jesus says this. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because, he isn't, because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Words of truth. Words of comfort. Words of direction. Giving them a heads up that, you know what? The world does not recognize this truth. The world doesn't see it the way you need to see it. I want you to look with a new perspective today is what he's saying to these disciples. And then he continues to teach them about the Spirit and what he's about to give. In verse 26 and 27, he says, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. I'm leaving, with, leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. The pe- and the peace I give is the kind, or is the gift that the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. So again, here he's speaking very clearly about his death and about what is to come in the days ahead. These disciples are starting to go through, I can only imagine, all kinds of emotions, disillusionment, fear. And he's teaching them and equipping them, saying this Holy Spirit's going to play a vital role in all of this as comforter, empower, uh, one who empowers, the one who reassures you in the following weeks. Jesus calls the spirit, the advocate, the paraclete, as it's referred to in that language. Which is like a legal term which says an advocate, somebody who will testify on your behalf, somebody who will come to your aid when you are being kind of battered by the world and and everybody has opposed you and you're being accused of all kinds of things. This advocate, this paraclete, will be there with you and help you to know what to say, will strengthen you, will comfort you, will encourage you, will come alongside you when the world is throwing lies at you. He says this advocate will recall things that Jesus has said and done and fix them in the minds of believers. He says this Holy Spirit will remind you. It even gives us this window into how Scripture was formed as how these disciples were reminded of all these things to write them down. Even in John's Gospel earlier on in in chapter 2, John, as he's recording this Gospel, in John chapter 2, verse 22, he gives evidence to this of what Jesus was just saying, that he would remind them of all that he had said. And in in verse 22 of chapter 2, he says, After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered. He says they remembered. They remembered that he had said this. Oh, yeah. Jesus said that this was going to happen. He had said this, and they believed both the Scriptures and what Jesus said. And so we see evidence of that 
right there in John's gospel as he's recording this earlier, and he's saying that they will remember, they will, the Spirit will bring to mind and remind you of these things again. And then lastly, in this chapter 14, verse 30 and 31, Jesus says, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. One commentator stated it this way. He says, it's not simply that Jesus is sent on a divine mission on behalf of the Father, but that the Father himself is on a divine mission in the life of his Son. And throughout all of this text, there is this strong language of the Trinity where we get this understanding of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Probably some of the most profound teaching in these chapters on the Trinity of how we understand the relationship of God as three in one. As the Father is resident in the life of the Son, and the Son will return to his disciples in the form of the Spirit, but the Father and Son will indwell the life of the disciples through the Holy Spirit. And so over and over is this teaching about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is preparing them. As these disciples were to go forward, they were not simply to continue the work of Jesus, but they, just as we are also called, were called to also be the presence of Jesus in the world. Because you have his spirit within you. That's what Jesus was calling them to. He's saying, my very spirit will be within you. And you are to be my witnesses. You are to be my hands and feet. You are to be the truth and the reality of God himself in the world. That's what he calls the church to. Because he says that his spirit is within us individually and his spirit is among us corporately. And he says you need to go and to be witnesses to this truth, to this gospel in the world. But you will face opposition It will not be easy, but they are called to be transformed people. Because you see, it's not just what they believed, because what they believed has now changed. And what they believed is important, this cognitive aspect. It's not just about how they live, even though that's important as well too. That also has changed. They were given a moral imperative that changed now how they were supposed to live. But also Jesus is pointing to the fact that what they will experience will be radically different than anything that they have ever experienced before. And this is the work of the Spirit. And he says it's going to be new. It's going to be different. So as you look at John chapter 14 even on its own, we see all kinds of things. Let me just mention a few of what the Spirit brings in contrast to the world. In the world's opposition, you will have an advocate. You will not be alone. In the midst of all the lies of the world, you will find truth, real truth. You will recall God's word with conviction in times of testing and confusion. Because when you forget, Jesus says, my spirit, the advocate, will remind you and bring it all back to you. When the world thinks that it has power, Jesus is saying, I'll I'll show you real power. The power that comes through the Holy Spirit and the work that can happen through the church and through people who trust God, believe, and are indwelt in the Holy Spirit in incredible ways, it will be a kind of power that the world does not know. It's not the military power that the people were looking for for Jesus, even on that Palm Sunday. Their own agendas that they were putting on him and the things that they wanted him to be and achieve for their sakes. Now, it was a very different kind of power because it was a power that led Jesus to the cross. 
to die as the ultimate service, the ultimate sacrifice to his people, a very, very different kind of power that brought the world to its knees. Where Jesus is remembered and worshipped and indwelling his people to this very day. It's a, it's a power that has changed things forever. We also have seen in this text that there's going to be miraculous works of Jesus that he is pointing them to. There's going to be intimacy with God in prayer. And when you are in times of confusion and turmoil, he says, I will bring you peace. I will bring you peace. The kind of peace that the world doesn't give, but it's going to be a very different kind of peace. And I won't leave you as orphans, but I will be with you. I mean, these are just incredible promises of God through Jesus Christ as he sends his spirit. Promises that are so different than the things that the world offers us. Then as we look at John 15, Jesus starts John 15 by teaching about staying connected to the vine. And that whole thing of I am the vine and you are the branches. And about staying intimately connected to him. And it's a teaching about love and about obedience. And how if you love me, you will obey me and stay connected to me. But then again, he points to the world once again in John chapter 15 in, in some really powerful and strong words. And he says, here's the reality of what you're going into, disciples, followers of mine. He says, this is the reality, John 15 verse 18 and following. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so that it hates you. You remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master since they persecuted me. Uh, naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Again, even in that last segment, you see this strong language of the Trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how Jesus is helping them to understand, to begin to understand what this is all about. You know, just before this section that I just read, Jesus is teaching his disciples to love one another. What it means to love each other. And it's followed right after this by the work of the Spirit. But here is this strong teaching on the resistance of the world. The the resistance of the things of God. Because you see, the world consists of that, that place, those hearts, where faith is refused and where God is opposed. And it happens in all kinds of ways in really big, dramatic ways, in systemic ways. It, it happens within our own hearts in really small, seemingly subtle ways that we just begin to oppose the things of God. And he says, those are the things that the Holy Spirit is going to help you with and convict you of and process with you. He will provide all that you need in that time. He was just, Jesus was just being so candid with his disciples about the the real social consequences of being a true disciple of of Jesus. And that maybe the greatest thing that they should actually fear is abandoning their faith and walking away from their faith when times did get hard because times were going to get very hard 
And so he's preparing them for that. And the most important thing is that you hold on to your faith, faith and remember these things that I told you, and the Spirit will help you when those trials and challenges come. Because, you know, one of the best ways to be equipped for something that's going to be challenging is actually to have a heads up on it, right? Like to know in advance. I think for most of us, if we know something in advance, we have some time to get our head around it, it actually helps us to kind of be prepared for that. And in many ways, that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples here. And again, I, in the world that I live in at this stage of life, I, my mind goes to raising kids. And you think about, okay, at different stages of your children's lives, how do you help prepare them for what's coming ahead? Well, partly you give them a heads up. Here's, here's what you're going to experience. Here's what I kind of foresee kind of going down the road a little bit. And you, so you prepare them for some things. Having four girls, I talk to them once in a while about, here's a little window into the mind of a young man. It's not always real pretty because I was one once. Or when your kids are going out with friends and you say, so what are you going to do when somebody offers you drugs? It'll happen. So we talk through it. You kind of go, how are you going to respond? What's your out? Who do you call? What are you going to do in that minute? What are you going to do when a friend of yours says, hey, I'll give you a ride home, but you know that that friend in this moment is actually a drunk driver? What are you going to do? So you talk through those things. It's called preemptive strikes. It's sort of like, okay, get your mind around this because it's going to happen. With young marrieds, as we coach and walk with young marrieds, again, the thing that I say to young marrieds is not as, it's not this. It's not, you know what, if you have trouble in your marriage, here's what you do. No, no, no. The line is, when you have trouble in your marriage, because it will happen, you're normal, now what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And so we all need preemptive strikes. We need those kind of heads ups. We need those kind of, kind of trainings in all of our areas of life, whether it's in the workplace or family relationships or what's going to happen when we die. In those last stages of life that so many people have walked through so admirably, do you have places where people have given you heads up and say, hey, here's, here's some things that have been really challenging that we have to talk about. We all need those. And that's what Jesus is doing here when he's talking through these disciples with these preemptive strikes and helping them to understand how to make good decisions in the moments down the road when it gets really, really hard. And he says you need to have a different perspective. You need to see things on a bigger picture. You need to see things differently in that moment. And again, it's just like Palm Sunday when Jesus was sitting on that donkey and the crowds were waving their palm branches and everybody was singing and rejoicing and he saw things so differently, which is why he was weeping over Jerusalem. And so he's preparing his disciples for all that was going to come in this week ahead that was leading to the cross. Jesus knew. If you keep reading in John chapter 16... Verses 1 to 2, just follow the text that I just read. He gets even more, more pointed and he says, I've, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think that they are doing a holy service for God. We know that happened. Read the book of Acts. It tells the beginnings of the early church and the Holy Spirit within the church at that time. And they were thrown out of their synagogues, this incredibly important place for the Jewish people of gathering and of meeting and so on. They were thrown out of their synagogues for believing in Jesus. 
And he says there's going to be a time when actually people are commended for killing Christians. That was Saul, who later became Paul, right? I mean, he was commended for that, of what he did and how he persecuted Christians. And so Jesus is preparing them for the things that are coming ahead. And what he wanted them to realize was that his death was not the end. That's the good news of this story. That's the hope that is in the story. He's pointing to the fact that his death was not the end. In fact, it was the beginning. He says, this is just the beginning of something incredible. That's why you have the book of Acts is the most amazing story of the early church and the Holy Spirit indwelling these people and this movement that has continued for 2,000 years because of the truth and the reality of it, of a living God who dwells among his, dwelt among his people and now gives his Holy Spirit to be in and among his people. It's an incredible story and incredible truth. And he wants them to know it's not the end. In John chapter 16, verse 7 and following, he's, Jesus says it this way. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak not his own words, but, but, but will tell you what he has heard. And he will tell you about the future. I mean, can you imagine being in that place with Jesus as those disciples and the things that he was teaching them? And, and they just could not get their heads around it. And I don't, I don't blame them. I don't know that I could have. But he says the spirit of truth is coming and, and he will make these things known to you. And the same word of encouragement and comfort and challenge is given to each one of us. That if we are followers and believers of Jesus Christ, that that same spirit indwells us. And gives us the insights to understand scripture. To know what God is saying in his word. To not have a fear for the future and what's going to happen tomorrow. Because we know the one who holds the future. And we don't have to fear death because we know the one who's overcome death. And it just changes everything in terms of how you live. This is the story of Easter. Of the gospel. Of the cross. And the empty tomb. See, discipleship is not simply about believing the right things again. Though that's important. Discipleship is not either also just a matter of living in a Christ-like way and being good people, although that is also an important thing. But it's being forgiven people and people filled with the Holy Spirit, with the experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives in such a profound way that you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwelling with us. This supernatural interior experience that is completely unlike anything that you have experienced before or anything that the world has to offer. So it's a way of believing and a way of living. But it's also a way of being nurtured and sustained by the life-giving connection with Jesus Christ through his spirit. You know, five times in these three chapters, Jesus promises his spirit. And he's just kind of hammering them and teaching them and showing them. And he's saying, this is what it's all about. This is what it's going to look like. And there's just so many things. And we've only touched on a few and he says, not only will this Spirit of God remind you of what I have said and done in the past, but he will also do new things. Verse 12 to 15 of chapter 16, you see that Jesus says, I'm also going to do something completely new that has not been seen before. That God is going to do through the Holy Spirit in the church is going to do new things. There's this ongoing experience with Jesus in spirit living among the church. 
new context, new applications, new prophetic ministry to the church that you need in order to live among the world. It's a new perspective. It's one that's not readily apparent. The disciples, they were just seeing Jesus leaving them. And they could not understand how this could be good. How is this the right ending? That this king, this Messiah that we've been so long waiting for is going to die. Like, really? And he says that's the very, very thing that needs to happen. Because that's where the forgiveness of sin on the cross comes. Where you are set free from the ways of the world that are right there within your very own hearts. You can live free and you can live in the power of the Holy Spirit because when I leave you, I will send you my spirit and it will be different. It will never be the same again. It says in that last verse that I read, it's the Spirit's job to convict of sin, not ours. But how do we approach the world? How do we live, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, how do we live in this world? What kind of world do we live in? Oftentimes, churches and people, individuals, we can position ourselves in different ways. One of the ways is we can be world-embracing, that we just see the world as benign and we join it to the full and we just kind of enter into everything and go along with it. Another way is that we can be world-suspecting, that we're maybe cautious, we're a little bit tentative, we're a little bit suspect. We recognize the fallenness of the world and we want to engage with faith. We can be world-rejecting. We see that the real answer is no engagement. Maybe that's the best strategy for a fallen world. Just, Just don't get involved somehow, if you can do that. And my point here isn't that one of these is right and two are wrong. In fact, I think that At certain times and in certain places and in certain situations, each one of those may be an appropriate answer. But we do need to ask the question and assess, how do we engage with the world, with God's Holy Spirit within us? What is God calling us to? How do we redeem the world? What Jesus came to do. How do we redeem the fallenness and the brokenness of relationships and conflict and things all around us that we see? How do we bring new hope into things that seem hopeless? And so again, death was not the end of everything. It was actually the beginning of something far greater. It was the gift of his Holy Spirit to the church and to all those who call on the name of Jesus. So amidst the hostilities, the confusion, the loneliness, the pain, the disappointment in the world, he says, I'll send you a comforter, an advocate, somebody who will be with you, always never leave you. It'll be different. I began at the, this morning, at the beginning of this message, starting to look, or by looking at contrasting pictures of different perspectives of seeing the world. And how, as we experience the power and the reality of the Holy Spirit, we see the world differently too. C.S. Lewis is a, is a brilliant, uh, was a brilliant Christian writer who many of you I know are, have read much of his writings, but one of the things that C.S. Lewis did was he would write fiction to reveal biblical truths and, and did so so creatively. And he, One of the things that he wrote was a space trilogy. And he wrote this to explore human sin and the fallenness of the world. And in this space trilogy, there was the planets of Mars and Venus and they were inhabited by beings and they had chiefs that were called Eldils and they were good chiefs and they kept their people good people and kept them from falling into sin. But in this fictional story, it talked about how earth was different. Earth was the silent planet where darkness reigned. And then the main character named Ransom, interesting, 
He sees the elders who come to the earth, and these are the good godly people who now come to the earth, and they, they come in the form of like dazzling pillars of light, is how he saw them. But he noticed that as they came to this earth, that these dazzling pillars of light, they, were, they would come to the earth, and they would almost, this pillar of light would almost always be at like 10 degrees, like just a little bit off square, a little bit off level, a little bit off from the rest of the world, a little bit off from true vertical. But then what he realized, what Ransom realized in that moment is he realized that actually the world was off 10 degrees. And that these people were actually true vertical. And he started to see the entire world completely different. Completely different. Suddenly he saw the truth as true vertical and he saw everything else as off just like 10 degrees. And it changed everything in his perspective. I think that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples here and teaching us that we need to see the world differently, and we can only do that by the power of his Holy Spirit. That we live in a world that is off 10 degrees at least. And that we need to see the world differently, that we need to see the world in a new way, that we need to see the true vertical that is Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus does not merely point the way, he is the way. Jesus does not just teach us the truth, he is the truth. He does not just represent one avenue to life, he is the life what it says in scripture and he gives us his spirit in the last verse in john chapter 16 these incredibly encouraging words to those disciples and to each one of us he says i've told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows but take heart because i have overcome the world let's pray together heavenly father we just thank you so much for the truths that we see in Scripture. And Lord Jesus, the the teaching that you did with your disciples that are conveyed in these few chapters are just powerful. That help us to see and understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to understand in new ways here today. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that does not know you, that has not given their life to you, that has not bend the knee at the cross, God, that there would be just that recognition that all it takes is just to say, Lord Jesus, change me. I believe. Turn me on a new path. Spirit of God, come into my life and transform me. And may I see the world and see you for true vertical of what it is. And Lord, I thank you that you honor the prayer of your people as we pray and as we desire to follow you. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would help each one of us to live more fully and completely and freely by the power of the truth of your Holy Spirit. Would you lead us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.